Uh, this is we're coming to the end of First John, and uh, you know I, I was actually surprised. A, a lot of people feel like John ends at verse twelve, and then he just gives his miscellaneous remarks at the end that doesn't really need to be looked at. But uh, you can tell that's not the way John's uh, wants us to view what he's writing because he says, "I write these things to you." who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that... So he's obviously summing it up. He's saying, look, I've written all this so far to you in this book, and I've written it for this reason, and then he starts to explain the reasons why. So this last part in John's mind is him sort of summing up what he said. I've written these things, and this is why. And then he's about ready to trying to explain to them the, you know, here's this argument, you might say, and then here's why it's so important. And the things that he's been talking about so far that we've been going through the past month or so is he's been talking about these two ways of looking at good coming into our life and how we oftentimes just sort of mix them all together. One is that we see good coming in our life and almost everybody sees that there's good that comes in our life that just isn't deserved. It's just granted to us. And he's saying it's clear that what the gospel is saying is that it's actually granted to us on the basis of forgiveness that that's what's being offered out. And, and then there's other this other way of looking at things that John actually goes so far as to say this way of looking at things is actually something that the devil is trying to get us to believe. And, and he says it's this idea that, no, there's good things that also are coming to us that we've done good things and we deserve for this to happen to us. And, and John has been saying... there's really no reason he's been arguing uh, to the church not to combine these two things, to really what some might call take it to extreme, but just look at things in the light of the gospel, that that the good things in our life are are always coming to us on the basis of God's grace and and forgiveness. And, And what he's been arguing is different things that whatever it is we're hoping to achieve by a appealing to this idea that like no good things happen to good people, that that whatever it is that we think is trying to happen here in good, it's actually summed up in being able to love people and people actually doing something that loves someone. And he says, whatever it is that we're hoping, it has to line up with that. And and that actually is accomplished better on this side of things. (laughs) That when we see how much God loves us and our heart is changed and we desire to just sort of respond in love and that we make changes to do acts of love to people that are coming from a heart that actually loves, he's saying that's actually better. So he's been arguing these things, how there's really no reason why we need to go to this and that just messes things up when we start combining these whole things. And so he's been saying, I've been writing these things to you And he says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that word, know, uh, knowledge, um, it it sort of has as much baggage for us as it did for them back then. It's not that we've evolved to some sort of place where now knowledge is just... It was as much an argument 
back in the days of Greek philosophy <laughs> as it was today. And the, what he's basically saying by the word knowledge is he's talking about, um, some people may label it as like, well, you know, we believe God, but then there's a, like a warranted belief, some people might say. Or, or some people might say, well, we kind of believe these things, but then, you know, it's, it fits the world the way we see it, <laughs> type thing. All, all he's getting at is just saying, look, we believe this, but I'm writing these things to you so that you will see that this belief in, in Jesus, it, it fits the things that we're experiencing in the world. You'll see that the things that that happen to me and I look at it and I see like events happening sort of in an empirical way. I hear or I see or I sense these things happening. And he's not saying that it's going to, when the word knowledge, that it fits the world as I see it. He's saying it fits it the way that everyone sees it. In other words, if you were to like talk through what you're thinking is, people would say, well, I can kind of see where you're getting that from, you know. In other words, that he's saying that there should be something. I'm writing this to you because if you keep mixing these two things up and what it is that he's focusing on, he says eternal life. Why is it that knowing eternal life matters if you have eternal? Because of what he's been saying is, is why it is that we have eternal life. If, we, if you believe in Jesus, you believe that we have eternal life based on forgiveness. Well, why is it important for us to know that? John's been saying because it actually affects every relationship that we have. How is it that we're going to have patience? with? It affects the amount of patience that we have with each other. It affects the way that we love each other. He says it, has, it affects the way that we, that we deal with problems in life, that we have hope in life. He says coming to an understanding that God loves us and cares about us and really does have a plan for us and that that plan is based not on us getting anything right, but on him working it all out for us. That allows us to approach life and approach relationships in a completely different way. And so he's been talking about how that important, how important that is. But he says, that I, I'm writing this to you, that, that you really need to drop this one off. We, we may look at uh, Revelation, and one of the things to the church, he says, uh, God wishes that you were either hot or cold. <laughs> what he's talking about is still this issue. Like, either just go this way and say, I just believe everything's a gift from God, and, and then at least you'll be able to set, look out at life and make some determination as to whether or not this is true or not. Or go this other way and just say, no, everything is based on something that's earned, <laughs> and then see if that is true. But at least see if something's true or false, but if you're sitting here going back and forth, you're never going to have an understanding of anything. <laughs> he says you kind of have to pick a path And then that path that you pick, it should become apparent. You'll gain an understanding as to, or a knowledge as to whether or not this is fitting with the world and the things that are happening around me. And to just sit here going back and forth, picking one way and then another way, it doesn't produce anything like that. And we, but we need 
that kind of confidence that comes from seeing whether or not this is true or not, in particular, whether or not this is true in terms of whatever it is we're saying is giving us a hope in eternal life. He says this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So he's saying, I've been writing all these things to you that you need to make a choice. Quit melding all these things together in terms of uh, salvation of works versus uh, salvation of grace. Just whatever it is you're hoping to grab a hold of here, it, it actually is going to come from here. And, and at least give it a try and see if what he's saying isn't true. And then he says, in the process of doing that, it's obviously going to, some of the things you're going to be looking at is, I'm talking to God and I'm asking for this, and God does something and gives it to me. Those are the types of things you're going to be looking at, right? But what he says is, be very careful when you're looking at these things, you're asking for God, and then you're seeing, is God doing it? To understand, he says, according to his will, or um, the, according to his, uh, uh, like something at a higher plane that becomes evident at a lower plane. <laughs> In other words, something up here that God has this will, God has a plan, and, and now you see things that being evident down here. And what he's saying is, is as we're going through asking for stuff and seeing how God responds, take into consideration that it's not just my will that's going on here. God has a will of his own. (laughs) And God understands more about what's going on than we do. And God's plan is not constrained in the way that our will is. And so he says you can't just sit there and make a determination on this by saying, well, I've been praying for a billion dollars and I haven't gotten it so far. He says, that's just not going to tell you anything. It, even if you got it, is all that would tell you is basically my God's will is subject to my will. And he's saying that's not the case. He says, if you really want to come to an, look at this and try and see if this is, this belief is warranted, if this idea that, that, we're going to be saved and have eternal life based on forgiveness. If we really want to see if that fits the way things work around us, it can't just be us asking and receiving. Did we ask A and receive A? He says that that makes no sense because God has his own will. He says it's actually going to, that sense that this is true, it's only... We're only going to be able to gain that sort of empirical to be able to see if it fits insofar as we're taking it for what it is. God understands more. God can do more. God has a bigger plan. In other words, we've got a, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is, subjugate or, or, or defer. That's maybe a better word. We, we need to defer our will to his will. <laughs> Because what we're really asking isn't, will God do everything that I asked to do? Am I now like the, the ruler of the whole universe with my will, that his will and everyone else's has to defer to my will? The answer to that is no. And that should become evident. But that doesn't tell us that what we really want to know 
is whether God has a plan for us and his love. He's making it clear that he's doing things and he's arranging things. We want to know what's God doing and is what he's doing oftentimes turning out to be a better plan than what I was pushing forward. Does that make sense? There's going to be some sort of like thinking through this a little bit. And when people start thinking through this, it and he's saying it, the start of this is you got to believe or at least have some sort of starting place of believing that, that well, I want to see, is God going to save me based on forgiveness? And, and once we're there, how do we then connect that to see if that's connecting with the way things are going? And, and oftentimes when people, I hear this, it's a very common thing, you'll encounter something where someone will, and I'm not saying anything godly or the, anything about the way people are explained. I'm just going to say how they explain it and how I think through it sometimes, but I'm not saying it's correct way. I'm just saying you'll come to this place where it's like people are constantly saying to me, yeah, I was just asking and asking for this. And, and then, you know, God gave it to me. I got this. God really did give it to me. And then I realized, like, he kind of gave me an out after that because I realized this was not what I <laughs> really wanted. There was like, you know, he kind of like, you know, there is this element of, you know, he does just sort of do what we say sometimes, but then there's also sometimes this point where it's like, I I knew at the time I probably shouldn't have been asking for this, and now it's just really clear I probably shouldn't have been, and thankfully God like allowed me out of that. So there's that kind of stuff. That's, that's what he's saying. Is there'll be some sort of like deliberations, and it's not that we're going to get it all right, or he's giving this way of this is how you work out those deliberations. He's just saying that if you're going to get at the truth, there's going to be something like that. It's not just going to be this clear thing. I asked for A, and then either if I get it, then it's proved. If I don't, then it's not. You have to take into account that God loves us. He cares for us. He understands us more than we understand ourselves. He understands What's going to the path that, that is going to be good for us? And it's nowhere in the entire Bible does it say that's going to be without hardship. He's saying you just have to take all that into account and just sort of see, does it seem like God's moving me down a path that isn't dependent on me having figured everything out, me having done this or me having done this, that I found myself maybe doing this occupation, and I really enjoy it, but it wasn't really like, you know, something that, that type of thing. He says, that's the evidence that you're going to have. It has to take into account a deference to God as being to God's will over our will, because that's what salvation in Jesus is, that, that we can't do it, we couldn't do it, we wouldn't do it, but God loves us and cares for us and, and is saving us through him coming down and becoming one of us. Then he gives an example. He says, if you see, in other words, he's talking about this type of thing. He's sort of, you know, he's not just saying, have knowledge and just like call your belief knowledge and just like have it be a word shift. He's saying, no, he's like, I'm talking about in reality, like when you believe something and then you start seeing it to be true in your life and it creates this sense of knowledge. He's saying something based on something real that, that you see, not just like shifting your language. And so he says, 
here's how this will start happening. And there's, you'll see a, a brother, in other words, a, a fellow person that, that also uh, believes in Jesus. And what he's saying is by that is, here's a person who they're not believing that good things are happening to them based on what they've done. It's another person like you that is also going through this path that, that believes like, man, I just mess up all the time. I mean, sometimes I, I know when I've messed up. Most of the time I don't. But, you know, I just believe that what God's doing is going to be based on forgiveness. He says, you see a person like that and they commit a sin. And then he says, does not lead to death. He says, you should pray and God will give them life. Now, I've got to talk about two things here. First, just this first part about the prayer, and then I'll talk about, because he goes into a whole thing after that. I refer to those who sin uh, not lead to death. Therefore, there is a sin that leads to death. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So the first thing he says is, he gives an example of, you see something, and it appears to you that this person's doing something wrong. Or they're messing up in some sort of way. They're maybe eating some Cheetos. And they shouldn't be doing that. You know, or maybe it's something more severe. You know, I don't know. But you just see something and there's this thing. And what he says is, then what you want to do is just pray that God gives life anyways to them. Now, that's not to say that there isn't an occasion when you may need to say to someone, hey, why are you eating those Cheetos? You know, that's horrible for you or something like that. You know, whatever it is. He's not saying that there's never an occasion to talk about, you know, that and have those kinds of discussions. He's just saying, he's talking about it in the context of what is it that's going to make us see in our life that this message of the gospel is true. And what's going to make us see it is those occasions in which we just say, well, whatever the case is, God, will you just give this person life and you see life being given it to this person. Does that make sense? He says, those are the types of things we're going to be looking for. But but oftentimes, we, we look for things. I, I'm just sorry I can't got on this, the Cheetos thing. I actually like Cheetos, so there's nothing bad about Cheetos. I think they're probably actually healthier than what you might think. Um, I, I know what it was. Some, yeah, one of our dogs really liked the fiery Cheetos and now doesn't like it anymore, so we're trying to figure out what. Anyways, you see, oftentimes we pursue knowing God in this type of way. We say, well, this person's eating Cheetos and that's wrong. And, and so in order for them to have life, I need to go and convince them that what they're doing is wrong and take those Cheetos out and sort of reprimand them. And then insofar as they're willing to listen to my godliness concerning Cheetos, they will have a healthy life. It proves that God loves me. and That, that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> he says... It, you have to kind of pursue this in such a way as you rule some things out. And what you're ruling out is whether or not this situation depends on me having done something and propagating, here's the right philosophy, and this person has to follow it. It has to, if it follows along that, then we're sort of mixing in. We're not really showing anything. 
And you see examples of that through the Bible when Abraham, you know, came and rescued all the people from Sodom and Gomorrah, from the kings that attacked them. They had the armies. He didn't. They lost. Those armies took all the people. He went with 300 people, which is a piddly amount of people, and conquered, I think it was five kings or something like that, kingdoms. So it was a lot of people. Brought all the people back. It was a miracle. And the kings that he brought back said, hey, you know, give the people to us, but you've earned it. You deserve this money, all the money that they took. Abraham says, no, no, I'm not taking a dime of that because otherwise you'll say you made me rich, but I want you to understand that God's the one who made me. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying, look, we need to rule some stuff out here. Let's, if we're going to like figure this out, there's going to have to be occasions when we're just going to have to say, no, I'm going to take this out of this situation and then let's see what happened. Because if I take this, it's going to be all confusing now what's going on. Let's just see what God's going to do apart from what you think I deserve and that type of thing. And so one, it's going to involve us trying to figure out what is it that God's doing and is that plan, how God is working out his plan on our life, is he making it dependent on us doing the right thing or is it just dependent on him forgiving us and overriding the things? And then two, we're going to have to look at things and set things up. And sometimes we may have to just sort of set some things aside and, and, and see to make it clear what it is that God's doing. And it's, it's no different than what you would do in some sort of, I'm not a, you know, I was a philosophy major, so it has not history. I don't know what the scientific process is. But my imagination of the scientific process would not be involved just dump everything in the world and then see what, you have to kind of pick and choose some stuff to see how this reacts. That has to be some, that's what he's saying. If we're going to get to the bottom of this and, and have some sort of confidence that this, you're going to have to have some sort of amount of setting some things aside to see whether or not God is really blessing us based on his love apart from our works. Uh, Then this part, uh, what is the sin that leads to death and the sin that doesn't? He's been talking about that in terms of the belief of Jesus. He's been talking about the Jesus is the Christ and the message of the Antichrist, this, the message of here's forgiveness for our sins and, and, and God loves us. And then the anti-message, no salvation is coming based on things that, that we do that's good. And, and he's been talking here in this passage specifically about the knowledge, how we gain knowledge of eternal life. He, he's talking about what, what he's just getting at here is that Look, if you believe that your relationship with God is based on forgiveness and you sort of have a repentant heart, and repentant doesn't mean that, again, that you've repented for everything that you've done wrong because that's impossible. You're not going to know everything. But, but you're just seeing that, like, the relationship is dependent on me being repentant. Does that make sense in, in a general sense? There, God will always bring like a, a couple things to mind, but that's not the totality of everything you've done wrong. He's saying is 
if you come to that, then there's going to be all sorts of things that you continue to do wrong, but that's covered by the message itself, which is that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, our relationship is, it's not that God sees us as being really good people and loves us and cares for us because that, it's that because of what Jesus has done to, to pay for all the things that we've done wrong and to make all the things that we've done wrong to, to correct that and to pay the penalty for that, that God is now free to view us and to treat us as though we are perfect, even though we're not. And so he's saying, yeah, you're basically perfect in God's eyes. Not because you actually are, because he just gave an example. Of, like, if you see this person sinning, he's saying, it's not that, but, but God's going to view you because of this one thing that matters, us accepting this message about Jesus. And from that springs eternal life. And what he's saying is, is there is something that you can do that doesn't lead to that, and that's denying this message. Then he says, we know, again that word know, we know that those who are born of God do not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. He's not saying we know that those that are born of God never sin because he's just given an example of someone who is born of God that you see sinning. What he's talking about is what leads to everlasting life. What is it that leads to life? It's this, they're not sinning in the sense of, like Paul gives an example in the church of a guy who is sleeping with his father's wife. And the church doesn't say anything wrong about it. And the guy feels like it's right. And Paul says, look, I've already turned such a person over to Satan. He says, you need to treat that person like they're not a believer anymore. And then later we read, oh, the person's come to repentance. Embrace your brother. You know, pull that person in. What's Paul talking about there? He's just saying, the problem with this side of things where we start thinking, well, you know, good things happen because I've done the right thing. It leads to this place where we start just ignoring and we start just completely acting and thinking that we've never done anything wrong or that we're not doing anything wrong from this point on or this past month I haven't done anything wrong. It's just saying, when someone's going down that road and just so insistent, you know, that you, know, you can't think of anything. I mean, you're, it's, like, it's like, boy, it's been like a couple years since I've ever heard this person even hint that they've ever done anything wrong. <laughs> He says, you can't really, what, you're just talking to that person. There's nothing that's going to be accomplished. And that, that there's only thing that's going to be accomplished is once something happens and, and that person comes to a place of realizing, oh, I have been messing up and I need forgiveness. That once that happens, it's not them realizing they're, everything they've done that's wrong. It's them coming back to this place where life comes from, of realizing I need to be repentant. I need to start seeing that all that God has been doing for me has actually 
been coming to me by the grace of God. He says, when someone comes to that, he says that what you need to know is that the one born of God keeps them safe. Jesus keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. In other words, what's going to help us on this path of knowing? We believe that we have everlasting life based on the forgiveness of our sins. And as we look out into our life, it's going to be those instances where we see the example he's just given of we believe in Jesus, but we're still messing things up, but we're being protected by God, that he cares about us, that there's some sort of amount, you should be able to see some sort of protection that's happening. And then he says, we know we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The other thing we're going to need to know, I mean, that we should be looking for is, this is something he's been saying throughout the entire book, that this message is different than the message of the world. Uh, Last week I was, it was a frustrating thing, like reading through some of the commentaries. I was reading through this one guy who, was talking about this, that enthymeme that we talked about last week. And, and he said, look, what John is basically saying is the same thing that Aristotle was saying, that the virtuous man has to be virtuous, that there's nothing accomplished by being virtuous of heart if it doesn't actually end up happening. What the guy's telling us is, is, well, what Jesus is saying with this message, it's no different than what Aristotle is saying. And Aristotle, at that time, basically defined what the world, that Greek-speaking world that they lived in on that, you know, in that area. He's saying the exact opposite of what John is saying. There is something virtuous found in someone that isn't virtuous, but the only thing virtuous is coming to a place of saying, hey, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's actually a virtuous thing (laughs) to be able to say you're sorry. And that's almost completely absent when we start going down this road of like, well, I'm a virtuous person and I do virtuous things. But nothing is mentioned with that. Well, there's going to be, there must be, some sort of difference between these two things. If, it's, if everyone's just saying the same thing, then that's not telling you anything. Uh, everyone in the Bible points out that the difference, people in the church oftentimes say, no, the difference is that a Christian is more virtuous than someone who isn't a Christian. You know, that, that's, the, that's what you can look at. And if, as you see that, well, I don't know. To me, that's not an honest look at things around me. That's not the conclusion that I've come to when I've gone to a Christian mechanic or a Christian this or a Christian that. I haven't noticed any virtuousness that's often, I, I'm pretty sure my mechanic is Buddhist and I think he's probably, you know, more virtuous than, I don't know. You get what I'm saying? Paul says, look, people do instinctively based on your conscience is bearing witness against us in a way that 
that fits with what the law has to say. If you were to say, you know, the law is said love, love people, I mean, isn't that what everyone's saying? <laughs> love people. He's saying you have to look at what it is that's different. And what it is that's different about this message is what it is that we say as a believer, we gain eternal life. The difference is, is it isn't even forgiveness because everybody believes in forgiveness. When Jesus says, you know, you need to forgive your brother, and then the disciples say, well, how many times do you need to forgive your brother? Everybody believes in forgiveness. It's the extent and the extreme to which the forgiveness is being talked about in terms of Jesus, that without any change to correct what it is that's been done wrong, that forgiveness has been granted based on what Jesus has done, not based on anything that any of us have done to change directions and to not do that anymore. That's an extreme thing, to just continuing to forgive even though it never changes. (laughs) That's extreme. (laughs) That's the kind of forgiveness that is being told to us here in the Bible is coming to us from God, that God actually is willing to just continually forgive us and hold back everything that justice would demand as punishment, to hold that all back and just continuing to forgive, 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 based on this promise that that he is going to come down, his son is going to come down, become one of us, and he is going to get things right. And he is going to deserve it. And he will make up for whatever it is that we've done wrong. And then whoever wants to join in, whoever he allows to join in and become his family on that basis of a faith that he's done that, then God will view as righteous. But the forgiveness is not a conditional forgiveness. The the only condition for the forgiveness, is accepting the forgiveness. <laughs> and to be honest, we don't even do that all that well. <laughs> a lot of long-standing problems that we have in life are due to our absolute refusal to accept the forgiveness that, that God has placed in our life. And we won't even forgive ourselves, let alone anyone else. He's talking about a huge weight being lifted off of us. But he says, it's not going to come by us just saying, well, I don't know, I'll just just believe this. He says, in order for that weight to be lifted, actually, there needs to be some sort of connection where we see that this fits with the way we see things working out around us. If you don't have that connection to the things that you see, then you're not going to have that confidence in this belief. So he says, this is very important. Then he ends, he says, what everyone, I mean, when you just read it, it seems like an odd thing to end with. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And everyone knows, remarks that the two heresies that he's been addressing in this book, none of which have anything to do with an idol. (laughs) And he's obviously referring to something idolish within the context of the church. So they, they understand that there's, it's not 
like, you know, oh, you've got at home this altar to Baal, and that's all he's talking about there. The word idol, the inference to that thing is basically just, in the Greek, it's just like a phantom. But it's not necessarily contained to like an actual idol image. It's just uh, what's going on there is basically um, relying on something phantomish. And what it means is, he's saying, be careful as you go through. And you're trying to figure out, connect this message. You need to isolate this message. And it's just about trying to figure out, is this message about the gospel, about Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, about us having forgiveness based on what Jesus has done. This message, I didn't read that other part, but he says, he says, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. In other words, Sorry, I skipped that part, but in preface to this, let me hit that. He's saying that what it is that we need to know, it's all about Jesus. And you're going to need to not trust what everyone else is saying about Jesus. You've got some things that he's written down that are, he wrote, we looked at his gospel about here's what I experienced walking and talking with Jesus. And I've tried to write it down as perfectly as possible. Here's this testimony about Jesus. And then I'm also writing these things here about what that means for us. And other people have written things in the prophets about what the promise of Jesus means. But, but it's just, it's about figuring this part out about Jesus, about the promise of Jesus. And, and as we're trying to figure that out, we, we come to this place where we believe and then we need to start seeing that our life, it's proving to be true. And he says, as you do that, be careful that you don't put your trust in phantoms. What he's saying is, is don't arrange this type of... Look, if let's say you're commuting to San Francisco and you get in a carpool every day. And for four or five years, you get in the car and you say, hey, you know, I think your brakes are going out. And the person says, well, you know, I don't know. They're not, you know, I went and checked. You just keep saying that day after day after day, your brakes are going out. Your brakes are going out. After five years, the person says, hey, you know, I changed my brakes. Well, I told you they were going out. That's what he's talking about. This isn't like trying to get at some sort of fake thing. He says, don't just set things up in such a way so that it just inevitably is true, whether it is or isn't, and no one else would agree with it. He's saying, you got to be careful not to just, that there's going to be lots of things out there that what that phantom means is there's some sort of apparent benefit or in this context, salvation that's there. There's something that, that's there, but in the end, it just amounts to nothing. You need to be careful not to just be put, constantly putting your trust in things that, that end up amounting to nothing because then we're just going to come to no conclusion at all. You know, uh, you, you, sh- you get what I'm saying about that. I'm not going to go into a bunch of examples. The, the point is, he wants, he's not at all saying that you need to take a step out of reality. <laughs> to believe in Jesus. He's saying, know what it is that we're actually asking that actually is different from what other people are saying. And and what it is that's different is the love of God or, or things happening to us 
that are happening to us apart from us deserving anything, that we're getting the idea that it's not even just random or it's coincidence, that there's some plant that's being directed towards us and we're being brought to a place in life that, that's, that's good, not in the sense of being good, but that just, and not even in the sense of feels good, but a, a place that we're happy to be going to that calling type thing. Does that make sense? That we wouldn't necessarily have gone there before, but now that we're there, we're really happy that this is the plan that we see now God has worked out for us. And he's asking for us to take a serious look at the things around us. To not be setting straw man arguments up, not to be setting things up so that it, you know, just always says that this is true, but but to to look at it in a way that anyone, if you were to talk to them, they would see it that way. You know, this is maybe off the subject, but I was just talking to someone. You know, I, I know that there's people who are let's say, atheist, you might say, and are just completely adamant about it. I know that that's probably true. I've just never actually encountered anyone. And it's not that I haven't encountered someone that's adamantly atheist. It's just, you know, if you're at a campground or you're at this or this or this, you know, if you go to the trouble of kind of trying to talk through things with someone, almost every time it's like, well, I'm not saying that there's not something spiritual or, you know, or when you start talking about this message, it's like, well, no, I actually do believe in forgiveness. And I do kind of believe. He's saying, look at the things. And everyone has all sorts of different agendas going on as to why we say this or why we say that. And he says, you've got to kind of get past that even for our own selves. It's not an agenda-based thing. The only agenda is... Let's look at Jesus. Let's figure out what exactly is this message that it's saying in terms of Jesus that brings us to eternal life. And then let's see if that actually fits. And what would be some of the things that we would need to help see if this actually fits? Let's not orchestrate some things. But if everyone was to look at those things, they would come to the same conclusion. And he's not saying we all will. But he's saying that it's necessary for us to think through and to see that connection. It's necessary for our confidence in the love that God has for us. And that confidence that the love that God has for us is pivotal. Not in us becoming a good person, but in our heart sensing how much we're loved. And in seeing how the extent, the great extent of the love that God has for us, that that love, not our love, he says, but the love that God has for us, that changes something. It softens something in our heart. And that softening of our heart to the love of God that's seen through forgiveness and through repentance and this message of Jesus, that that actually does change the way we relate to each other, change the way we relate 
to problems. And it doesn't change it in a way that fixes everything so that we, nothing wrong happens. It changes things in the way that we have hope to continue on. Let's pray. Jesus, we just uh, thank you so much for what you've done for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would, as Paul says, that he writes these things so that we would know. I pray that somehow you would just work in our hearts and work on us and really just do a miracle and help us to just see things as clearly as possible and help us to come to a place where we where we know that we have eternal life. We pray that you would bring us there. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.